I'd like to take your attention this morning to the book of Proverbs. I started thinking about this message before I realized Alan that we're going to be here for the first time with her with their new son, but I uh, have been thinking for a while already in relation to parents, parental responsibility, and challenge of raising children. Proverbs chapter 9, I'd like to begin with this verse, Proverbs 9 and verse 10. I'd like to uh, think for a while this morning about parents teaching the fear of the Lord. Parents teaching the fear of the Lord. Verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. There's probably nothing more important for us as parents in the training of children, the raising of children, there is nothing more important than teaching the fear of the Lord. It's the foundation of everything else We are called to teach them. And there's a lot of things we're called to teach them. But the understanding, the fear of the Lord, it is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Now, just a few thoughts in the introduction. There's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. We can have a lot of knowledge. We can know a lot of things. But wisdom is taking that knowledge that we have and applying it in a practical way. It's knowing how to use that knowledge that we have. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And yes, we teach our children knowledge. You know, we send them to school and even before they go to school, you know, we, we teach them a lot of things. They ask a lot of questions and, and we're, we're, we're feeding that information in, into their, their minds as their brains are developing so rapidly. That's knowledge. Then as they get older, you take that, that knowledge that you give to them and you, you help them to apply it into wisdom, which is how you take and, and, and live out what, what we know. And so this morning, I'd like to think a little bit about this, teaching the fear of the Lord and the importance of this in relation to family life. I know that we're of different ages here this morning, and there's a sense in which, you know, I don't, we don't have young children anymore, but it's still a burden on my heart in relation to, I mean, our family, of course, and our grandchildren, but also, even more so, or just as much, you know, the church family and the young children that are here, those that continue to arrive, the spiritual success of our families. And I know some of you young parents are right in the middle of it, right in the thick of it, and sometimes you say, well, are we getting it done? Or are we doing it right? Or like, how do, how, do we, how do we know? How do we understand? And I don't stand here this morning as one who has done it right. I, I don't feel that way um, at all. But there are principles the Bible gives us. And I think that, you know, the, this is a very basic one this morning. Um, and it's just one of the most basic ones that we need to understand and how we can relate to it. Now, what is the fear of God? We can think about fear as we commonly use the word, which is like to be afraid 
Um, but that's not what this, the way the, new, or the, um, the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, uses this word. But the word fear here, as it is used, is a reverence. It's an awe. It's um, a deep respect. And so what we're saying this morning is we're saying we're going to be, we, we need to know how to teach the fear of the Lord to our children. It, it, is, it is to teach a deep respect for God. So it involves a faith in God, of course, and it's not hard to teach a little child faith in God. It's very simple. You know, a child can understand it. It's us adults that complicate it. But a little child can easily, you ask a little child, you know, where is heaven? Where is God? You teach them that, those things, and they can grasp it in their, in their innocency and, and understand it. And that God loves them and how to pray and all those things. All that is wrapped up in this whole thing of, of a reverence and a respect for God. And so we are to have this deep reverence and respect for the Lord ourselves as, as adults. But again, you know, we are the ones that often struggle with, us, with faith and having the faith that God wants us to have. And so it really means that we are literally awed or humbled by his presence. Now, why teach children the fear of the Lord? Why is this so important? Why is this so basic for everything that, that we will give them in knowledge or help them with wisdom? Well, we can see what happens in the extremes of society. I thought of this verse, Isaiah 3 and verse 12. I'm not going to quote the whole verse. But it talks about the, the backslidden of Israel as a nation there in, in Isaiah 3 and and the prophet here gives this um, observation. He says, as for my people, children are their oppressors. And he says, and women rule over them. And I thought about that in relation to the society in which we live today. Children are the oppressors. I was in a grocery store here the other day, and a child was just having some sort of a fit. And I know sometimes children have their fits, but this is a child that should have been old enough not to... To not act that way in public or any time. And the mother, I guess the mother, whoever's taking care of them, was trying to placate them, you know, just trying to, to just to. And, I, and again, this verse children are their oppressors. That's why a lot of worldly parents or worldly couples, they don't want children. It's just too much bother, too much hassle. Too much disruption because of their approach to child training is that they make them into oppressors. And um, certainly we know that God has a better way than that. Let's turn now to Psalm 34. I'd like to uh, just notice this scripture. Brother Al read the first part of it, verses 1 to 8. I'd like to begin at verse 11. Psalms 34, verse 11. Come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So here the psalmist is calling the children. In a sense, this is the call for every parent. Here this morning, you're in the middle of child raising, child training, and you need to make sure that you are bringing your children into this teaching arena of where they're going to learn to know the fear of the Lord. 
Come, ye children. As a parent, you know, as a school teacher, a school board, as ministry, ministers, we, we, we are called to do this, to call the children, invite the children to come and to, to listen, and we want to teach you the fear of the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 12, What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days? That's all of us, right? You know, want to live. There's that desire within us to live. Loveth many days that he may see good. Look forward to life, the blessings of life, what life has before us. Then he says, this is what you're going to need to do. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile or falsehoods. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and, and pursue it. For the eyes, or the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. You think about what he is saying here is in teaching a child the fear of the Lord. Yes, you, they desire life. They, you know, as a young person here this morning, you look forward to life and what, you know, if Lord tarries, what God has for you in the future. That is, that is true. And there's nothing wrong with that. How to see good and loveth many days. But then there's a responsibility that comes in relation to understanding the fear of the Lord. We're going to need to control this tongue in our lips. We're going to have to depart from evil. Like it says of Job, who um, eschewed evil. He habitually turned away from it, it means. And be honest, not speaking guile. Uh, depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. And then to remember accountability. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And there you have one of the, base, the basics of understanding the fear of the Lord, and that is our accountability to God. If For us to prepare a child for the time when God calls them in accountability, you need to teach them the fear of the Lord. So when the voice of God comes to them, they understand that there's an accountability there. And that's really the, the premise of this message this morning. And so it, it is important. All life-directing choices a person makes will reflect their fear of God. Just think of, about ourselves as adults, any of us here. You know, we, the serious life-directing uh, choices that we make will be reflected by our knowledge and fear of God and that accountability. People that make careless choices, choices that, that are against the truth, Choices that are, according to the scriptures, wrong, do not have a proper fear of God. They don't reverence God. They don't believe there's accountability to God. And somehow they can make their own choices and somehow escape the consequences. When God says, just remember what you sow, you're going to reap. When we have a fear of God, we say, I'm not going to sow this seed because I don't want to reap that harvest. But if we do not have the proper fear of God, we're going to say, oh, maybe it's not quite that serious. It's, you know, maybe I can do this and get by. That's not a proper fear of God, you see. So fear of God 
is a premise for us making the right life-directing choices as we go through life. And I would say this morning in relation to child training, the greatest thing any parent can do for a child, you can say besides spiritual, their, their spiritual welfare, is simply to teach them a fear of God. Fear of God. We don't have to be perfect parents. We don't have to get it always right every time. But when there's that sincere desire, knowledge, wisdom to teach them the fear of God, we are setting a platform in their lives from which all other decisions will be made. It's a foundation. How do we teach the fear of God? Think about a few practical things. I believe that teaching the fear of God involves a mother and a father, husband and wife. But I would say this morning that I do believe that the premise for teaching a fear of God does rest upon us as fathers primarily. A mother naturally is that support, that blessing in the life of a child. I know there's exceptions to that, but in general, a mother is a mother and will always be the mother of that child. But understanding and teaching the fear of God, I believe, does rest upon us as fathers. We need to understand, I think, with this, then, this responsibility, our natural tendency toward laziness and laxness in this. I've felt it in myself in the past. I feel it in myself today sometimes. You know, it's like, you know, it it takes a lot of energy to be a, a good father and to teach the fear of God. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. You're going to have to be there. It's going to take concentration. It's going to take focus. And if we don't concentrate on it, discipline ourselves to do it, we're not going to be very successful at it. And there's going to be some pretty big gaps. We don't have to be perfect, I said before, and I I believe that. But with a sincerity before God to do what we can to teach that, we can connect with our children and teach them a right understanding and a fear of God. One of the the things that really catches our attention in 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 Bible study, and I think it's true today, and I I said before, and I hope I didn't offend anybody, but there's a laxness and a laziness in us sometimes. But one of the things that, that catches our attention in the Scripture is how many stories of weak fathers... There is. Which I think shows to us the fact that we are to be diligent. Like God says there to Israel in Deuteronomy 6. You know, it's a constant, it's a full-time job. When you're laying down, when you're getting up, when you're doing this, when you're doing that. You need to teach the ways of God. So there's that whole atmosphere and the knowledge of God that is, that is, that is a part of us in parenting. The... Um, <clears throat> And I, I would have to say this, and I'm, I'm not thinking of any situation here this morning in our, in our lives. I know we all have our strengths and weaknesses and struggle with some of this. But the other thing that has always bothered me is being involved in Bible school work. And what is sad is what I find in doing interviews with students one-on-one, how many young men 
don't have a relationship with their father. There's exceptions, but it's more than 50%. In counseling them and working with them, they do not have a close relationship with their dad. They would not feel free to go with him with their personal struggles. And I don't know how it is here, I, but I'm just, you know, overall, I'm just saying, it's something to think about. It's not to our credit. And I, I have children sitting here, so I, you know, they could probably tell you, you know, some of the same things about me. But what, what my, I guess the burden is, you know, what can we do? Can we change this? Can we, can we somehow, you know, move the, the dial the other way so that there is relationships that are strong and established? And I know every young father wants to have that relationship. I know that. But how do we do it? And how do we miss it then when it's not there? We teach the fear of God by example. First of all, we teach it by example. Yes, we can read the scriptures to them, and we, we do, we need to, all that's important. But what we say in our words will not count near as much as what they see lived out in our lives. And I'm not holding up some ideal of perfection here that, you know, that none of us are going to measure to. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, they need to see the sincerity of our hearts even at times in our failures. That we teach them, you know, when you fail, this is how you repent. Or when we, we do something wrong, this is how you confess it. Or when something comes up and we say something we shouldn't say, this is how you go make it right. And this is how I forgive a brother or I forgive a neighbor. All those things are, are part of the example the Apostle Paul could say to Timothy and to others, like in first, our 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, he was talking to the church at, at uh, Thessalonica. He says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. In other words, Paul was saying, you understand that you can follow us because you were there and you saw our example, and we did not misbehave when we were there. We did not walk disorderly. And I think that it should be the challenge for every one of us as, as parents that we should be able to say to our children, you can follow me. Come follow me. I will show you how to live the Christian life. Now, we shrink away from that and say, oh, I, you know, that's pretty scary to say that. But you know what's happening? That's happening anyway. They're taking their... Cues. They're taking their understanding of what the, living the Christian life means by watching us. So we might as well just admit it and say, follow me, I'm going to show you. And maybe if we get that into our heads more often, it would help us to be more careful in our own walk. I don't know what you struggle with. My wife has kindly reminded me a few times about some attitudes I display when I'm on the road behind somebody that is driving really slow. You know, those, re you know, and those reactions, you know, I, what happens when the neighbor's cows run through the garden? 
All the, you can just go down the list. All those things in a normal life family setting. As parents, we are showing our children how to live and what is important to us. Those attitudes. That is teaching by example. A strong, I think we need to remember that a strong husband and wife relationship is the backbone of teaching children right and wrong. It's ex- extremely important that a husband and wife are a team and working together. If that's not in place, you're cutting your effectiveness in teaching your children by a massive percentage. I think another thing to be careful with, and that is to not necess- unnecessarily dilute your parental influence in the crucial years. And, you know, you think about Deuteronomy 6, I refer to that, where it's a constant, ongoing responsibility day in, day out, hour by hour. And I know we're not always there at home, and we're not always, especially as fathers, of course, but, but it is still an ongoing responsibility. And we can unnecessarily dilute our parental influence in the crucial years by simply not being there as much as we should be. And that doesn't mean even like being away physically. That's, that is serious enough, being gone too much. But the other side of it is to not be there in mind, you know what I mean, and be engaged when we are there. And I'm really, I've really been bad for this. I, it's, I, I admit I, it's a weakness I've, I've struggled with. A lot of things in my mind. Sometimes I forget that I'm right here with somebody and I, you know, we're, we need to engage or talk or communicate. I'm not sure what your struggle is, but, but we can unnecessarily dilute our parental influence in those crucial years by not making those connections. The children are out playing, everything's going good, we can do something we want to do or need to do or something. We're not engaged. And um, just a lot of different ways that this, you know, I think the more a family can work together in projects when they're home together, you know, and do things together, have uh, enjoyable times together, all that is part of building that relationship. We also teach the fear of God by maintaining the authority of our word. And this is important not because we use this whole parental um, power on a power trip or something with children. No, that's not the point at all. But we need to make sure that we maintain the authority of our word. Eli, in the scriptures, did not restrain his sons. He told them, the Bible says, and, and I can just imagine the way the scripture gives that. He probably scolded them and he said, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. But he never did anything about it. He would just keep telling them and telling them. And I know how it is as a parent, you know, you, you know, you, uh, especially with the younger children, it's, it seems like sometimes some of that discipline part never seems to end hardly, but it will end. And don't give up in that because, because you have to maintain the authority of your word. And sometimes, you know, a child will test it repeatedly to see whether you're going to stick, stick by it or not. In those battles, don't give in. Just make sure you consistently, calmly, firmly hold the line. Because if they know that they can, you know, react at this time, this place, and nothing happens, they'll, they'll try it again. They'll, they'll push that to the max. It's just the way human nature works. 
We understand that. So Eli was a man, a weak father, scolded his sons, told them not, they shouldn't be doing that, but did nothing about it. And God judged him for that. He, did, he never followed through. And, and it's important that as a father or a mother, both sides here, you know, when you say, no, I don't want you to, to do that, you make sure that that sticks. If 10 minutes later, it's like they're out there and, oh, okay, they're doing it anyway. Well, whatever. You know, you don't have to do that very many times and you've, you've lost a tremendous amount of ground. You just told your child that my authority doesn't mean anything. It's, and you keep doing that for a while and you end up with, with you know, older children, teenagers that don't respect your word. It's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's really you know, just following through. And right with that, we need to keep their conscience clear. I think as parents, we need to know our children's demeanor. We need to know, you know what we, their, the look on their face. And a parent naturally, I think, has some of that, that observation and that wisdom. We can see a clouded conscience. Can you see a clouded conscience when they're guilty? Or when you just know there's something not quite the way it ought to be? Parents need to be observant of that. Don't brush that aside. Yes, it's going to take work. You're going to need to dig into something. You need to ask some questions. You're going to need to sit down. You're going to need to do, have some discussions. But do it. Don't ignore a clouded conscience. You know, the secretive, immoral, immoral conduct among children is very destructive. We love that our children have friends and their own peers. But as parents, we need to be really on our toes. Because there's a lot of, of impurity and immorality that starts in a young age. Just on the basis of curiosity alone. Which is natural to a point. But that's where it starts. And suddenly we find ourselves in situations that are very, very unpleasant because we were not keeping a watch. We were not keeping track. We were not being careful enough. It's not that we want to be really suspicious of our children, but I'd rather say it this way. We are really suspicious of their old nature because that old nature is, is downhill. It's, it's not uphill. And with that, of course, in keeping the, the clouded conscience cleared, is teaching honesty. It is so important that they understand, you know, the honesty. That scripture says, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. In other words, be honest. Again, it's one of the important things of teaching the fear of the Lord is a child understands that honesty is very important to mom and dad. And if they catch me telling a lie, that's really serious. And consistently serious. And because without that, you will not teach proper, proper fear of God. You will not teach it. You have to teach them honest. Honesty is, an, again, an integral part of this. Again, because they're, first of all, responsible to you as the parent, to us as a parent. And honesty is a part of that. And which means that then, as that is taught and that framework is, is there, then they can be honest with God. But if they haven't learned to be honest to the parents, they won't learn to be honest with God. And, and then, you know, as a young adult, and you get into the, the years, and, and without being honest with God, 
we don't have that strong relationship. And then after a while, the Christian life just kind of fritters away and, and people just lose out because they're not being honest with God. So honesty is very, very important. The other part of that is um, to teach them the clear confession of wrong and the importance of that. The clear confession of wrong. You know how hard it is sometimes to have a child. You know, know that they're guilty. You know they did something wrong. You try to get them to go tell that other child's story. Even a small child struggles with that. It's the old nature. It's pride and stubbornness, and it's the old nature. Sometimes it can put up quite a battle. You know, of just, just go confess. Just go say, I, I'm sorry, I should not have done that, or whatever it is. But that is important as well, because it's part of honesty. And confession also is a part of accountability. If you want to bring, we want to bring our children to the place in life where they become accountable to God, not so much to us as parents anymore. We teach them honesty, and we teach them how to confess wrong. And that's accountability. With that, maybe this one should have been earlier when we talked about diluting parental authority. Never argue with your child. Never allow your child to argue with, argue with you. They need to understand there's a respectful way to ask a question. Is that really what you want me to do? Or, you know, there's respectful ways to do that. But the minute we as a parent get into an argument with a child, we've, we've diluted our authority. It's not that we never are wrong. It's not that we would never go back and say, you know what, I made a mistake there. I should not have, you know, asked for this, but this is what we're going to do. Um, there's a right way to do that. But getting into an argument, you lost the battle. Also, right with that is uh, not allowing a child to talk back to you as a parent. That's also a part of accountability and, and maintaining the, um, the parent-child relationship. Parents must support each other's authority. We talked a little bit about the support, the connection between a husband and wife, a mother and a father. And I could tell you stories, and I'm not talking about anybody in this audience, but I can tell you, you know, explain situations where I know this happened, where a mother did not support, you know, what the father wanted. And so he would try to discipline, he would try to set some rules, he would try to help the children, and she would undercut it. She would, you know, she was soft, and they'd go to her, and she'd say, oh, yeah, you can do that, I guess. And, and it just, total havoc. And I know that's an extreme case, but I'm just saying, you know, as husband and wife, you need to work together. It's a team effort, and to, and to support each other's authority. There may be times that, you know, mothers, that your husband may say no or something, and you might not totally agree with him. You know, maybe you don't think he knew all the facts. And, but, you know, if a child, you know, will, will learn very quickly if they can go to whichever parent and get permission to do what they want to do. They learn that so quick and so young. Well, dad says no, but mom would say yes. Or vice versa. Sometimes it's the other way around. Mom says no, and dad, yeah, that's okay. Well, he has the right to, because he's the leader of the home, he has the right to override, you know, what the mother says, right? Be careful. Please don't do that. If you may not agree, let's have that conversation behind closed doors or somewhere else. And not have that disagreement right in the middle of our family when our children are trying to find their way. If we do that, it's not going to work. I remember there was times I didn't, you know, I would have said exactly what my wife would have said when the child asked something. 
but I, I remember feeling the need to back her up because if I would have, you know, undercut her a little bit, would they respect her? No. And vice versa. I mean, I know those times that she told me later, I said, was that a little bit, you know? You know, is that really what you wanted? But again, she supported that. And I just use that as, a, as an illustration. You try to have to work together in that. We don't always get it done. Sometimes we cross the line. We shouldn't have. But, but that's the goal. We also need to be careful never to undermine delegated authority for the good of our children. This can happen very easily. Our children are responsible to us. We love our children. They're our special children. You know, our children are always special, right? Every parent thinks that. Um, they're the smartest. They're the best. And I, mean, I say that tongue-in-cheek. You, know, you understand that. But, but at the end of the day, you know what? They're just about like everybody, everybody else's children. And they're just as naughty as the rest of them. And the sooner young parents learn that, the better. You know, you save you a lot of grief. You know, and so, you know, whether it's at school or church or whatever happens, you know, it's like, I remember my dad, you know, if I go and complain to him about what somebody did to me as a child, and he'd say, well, what did you do to them? You know, you never got anywhere. You just, you just knew that, that that just was not an open door. You'd just rather not have that discussion. Because it was always back, you know, well, what, what did you do? And so what I'm saying is that, that we have to be careful we don't undermine other delegated authority. And, you know, whether it's civil authority, it's... Um, you know, um, the government, their authority. One of the things the Bible says about the last days is people are not going to be afraid to speak evil of dignities. And what that means is they're not going to be afraid to challenge authority. And I think we're seeing that all over in our society. It's more and more um, as part of the, the last days. And let's be sure as a Christian people of God that we are not falling into that a bit. We can say, well, you know, this leader and prime minister or president or whatever. But really, that's civil. That's, you know, we are called to respect. And if we undercut that to our children, we will undercut our own authority um, and undercut their, their uh, fear of God. So we need to follow through on our word. Don't let disobedience go uncontested. Teach accountability. In other words, you're answerable. You know, um, something happens, you know how hard it is sometimes to figure out where the truth lies. This child says this, that child says that. And he's like, well, you know, where is the truth? Don't give up in those situations. Try to honestly find, find the answer because you're teaching accountability. Somebody needs to answer. Somebody did this. And if we too easily shrug that off, and I'm not saying we, you know, force the issue to the point where, you know, we, we act wrongly. But, but there is a point in having them understand accountability. And, you know, especially with young children, you know, playing, and maybe families are visiting together. And I just point this out as an observation. I love to see a father, a young father, get up every once in a while and go see what the children are doing. It's a very simple thing. Why do we do that? One thing is, when it goes quiet out there, where, where are they what they're doing? What's going on? Again, we're not suspicious of the children so much as we're suspicious of their old nature and where that's going to take them if we don't keep a watch on it. And then the other thing is, you know, it's important that the children also understand that they're accountable. And mom and dad are, 
whoever is going to show up at any time, any, anywhere. And as a young child understands that, you know, it's a little like the school teachers, you know, that, um, you know, somebody, one student was sure that the teacher had eyes in the back of her head because it seemed like she could be writing at the board and all of a sudden t- turn around and catch the spitball that flew or the airplane or whatever. And some were almost sure that she had eyes in the back of her head. But she understood something. She understood, you know, fall of nature and how, how things go. But what happens is you teach accountability that way. When you never know when mom and dad's going to show up. Or, of course, a school teacher may see this or that or the other thing. And all of a sudden it's like, but it's accountability. And that's the premise for them, them learning that they're accountable to God. Because God sees everything. He never turns his back on us. Nothing even in the dark. He sees it all. And so that knowledge of God in relation to accountability is a premise for them having a proper reverence, a proper fear of God. Well, there could be other things that we could look at in relation to this. We teach fear of God by teaching respect for sacred things the importance of a worship service, the importance of keeping their eyes closed when we, when we pray. Why do we do that? You're teaching a fear of God, actually. You're teaching reverence. God is in heaven. We're upon earth. You know, it's reverence. Esau despised his birthright. He treated it lightly. He did not esteem it. You know, and I remember as a child, my father... Sometimes checking, you know, my Bible that I took along to church as a child, you know, and if the ears or the corners get a little dog-eared or something, he made me sit down and straighten them all out again. Just a thing as a child I remember. You know, you, some things are, are special and sacred, and you, you treat them carefully. Um, so things like that is, are important. Respect for sacred things. We teach the fear of God by careful explanation and teaching. Jonadab's faithful children in Jeremiah 35, you know, still after 140 years could say exactly why they did what they did. You find that interesting. Clear explanation down through those years. We teach the fear of God by helping keep strong maternal instincts in balance. We talk about the teamwork of a husband and wife. Have you ever thought about it, how it must have tore at Hannah's heart? when she took the young Samuel as a child and left him there at the tabernacle door with Eli. And she went home. And she knew she was only going to get to see him once a year. She was a mother that understood that she had to take some of those strong maternal instincts and surrender them to the will of God. And that's true in a lot of different ways in relation to, to parents. You know, you face it with older teenagers or young adults who, you know, are leaving the nest for a while and moving away and doing other things, you know, serving in other places. You know, there's that, a part of that that, is, that has to be faced. Um, and you also think about it in relation to, um, you know, the strong maternal instinct to protect and even in the growing up years, you know, where, yes, it is there, but you have to leave them fall. You have to leave them get hurt sometimes. You need to have them feel the bruises sometimes 
No, I'm not talking about child abuse. I'm talking about letting them learn to feel the bumps of life. And sometimes a strong maternal instinct, you know, wants to protect all of that. Um, just be careful with that. We teach the fear of God by curbing the vanity of the human nature. David did not curb the vanity in the hearts of his older sons, and they came to, to uh, catastrophic ends. Remember Absalom, you know, a very vain man, a very vain person. Um, and you think about this as parents, we want our children to be socially accepted. But sometimes, you know, it has more to do with our own struggle of heart, of being accepted, maybe. And so, in relation to fathers and mothers, you know, resist the desire to pretty up your child or, you know, in a way that's going to, to uh, feed a vain spirit because you're going to pay for that. And you don't, feed, uh, you don't teach them the fear of the Lord if you're at the same time feeding pride or feeding vanity in their hearts. So it's something that we need to be careful as fathers, maybe this has more to do with us, but resist the temptation to give our children or our sons bragging rights to their friends. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we want our son to excel or we want him to be accepted and to, you know, be well-liked. And we shoot ourselves in the foot and we make it hard for him because we make decisions and, they, and do things that actually cause a rift in the, in the relationship and and a wrong kind of a peer pressure. But I, I just, you think about that, you know, is, am I setting my son different or up on a pedestal versus his peers and his friends by decisions I make? Well, he has this, you know, and, well, this is better than his, and, you know, and, and the other boys don't have this, but he has one, you know, and we can be feeding actually a vain, a vain proud spirit within our own hearts as a parent by through our, our children by doing those things. And uh, the problem is the children pay the highest price. So we need to f- teach the fear of the Lord, and part of that is, of course, humility. We teach the fear of God by mentoring for healthy thought patterns. Parents, we play a, an extremely key role in, in developing healthy thought patterns. There is a wide diversion of emotional characteristics in each child. We understand that, but mentoring, the word mentoring means to tutor or to counsel or to teach. And so we're there. It's an ongoing relationship where a child is taught. And we actually teach a child how to think. Their brains are given to us. They're not really pre-wired, except for basic instincts and you know survival skills and all those things. But why does a child, and we talked about this before, ask so many questions? Because you're, they're, they're filling their brain with, with knowledge. And as a parent, we have the priceless privilege of being there to guide the information that is going into that little brain that is growing so fast, so rapidly, in knowledge and, and, and putting the pieces together. And so how they look at things, how they respond to things, you know, whether it's emotional or uh, through the senses, all, all of that is part of us being there and teaching them how to process information, how to think. I think it's one of the un, um, 
untapped resources, or one of the greater untapped resources, that we as parents should be thinking about probably more. Now, a peaceful, loving, structured home atmosphere is one of the first important things in relation to this. A peaceful, loving, structured home atmosphere. And that information is funneled into their minds as they grow older, day by day, hour by hour. We, 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 they're in a, in a situation where there's a, a loving atmosphere, and so therefore there's going to be a freedom to ask questions. There's going to be a father and a mother that care about them that are going to try to answer those questions. And I know how it feels sometimes. You say, well, maybe we should be quiet now for half an hour. You know, no more questions for a while. But then you think about them, and why this is happening. Why are they doing it? And so with that, in relation to mentoring for healthy thought patterns, don't allow a pattern of pouting and sullenness. That's why I really, as a parent, I've always struggled with this, and I still struggle with it to this day, this whole idea of the world's view of discipline and the whole thing of time out. Okay, you go sit in your room for, for five minutes. I just don't, I'm not saying there's never a place for it but almost never a place for it. How are you going to deal with pouting and sullenness if that's the approach we take? Now, maybe a child sometimes in emotional trauma and they can't yet process what's happening and they get a little hysterical. Yes, maybe there's times like that that you just, okay, we, we sit down here, we calm down, give a little time, get the emotions under control, and then we can have this conversation. I understand that. That's important. But to have, you know, the, one of the standard punishments is, or disciplines is, you go sit in your room for the next 10, 20 minutes, whatever it is. I'm not sure that produces the right thing. In fact, I don't think it does. You can feed this whole thing of victimization. You can feed the whole thing of pouting. You can feed the whole thing of sullenness. Why not just deal with it? If it's something that needs some punishment, deal with it. Get it over with. Get it off their conscience. End of story. But you don't want to teach them that escapism is the way you deal with your struggles. And that's really what, what I think you teach a child by doing that. That escapism, you just, you just get out of here. You just leave me alone. That's not really what you want. You want to teach them thought patterns where they learn to deal with things. Face accountability. Deal with the consequences. Clear the conscience and go on. And, and be happy and, and, and live life. Dealing with a child out of frustration or anger as a parent will always cause emotional trauma for a child. And I know I don't have a perfect record in this. There's times I know that I dealt with some of our children in frustration and some anger. And I had to apologize and clear it. But it will always cause emotional trauma. I'm not saying permanent damage, but as a, as, as a parent, we must have our spirits under control. How does God deal with us? And we need to deal with our children in the right way. If our spirits are stirred so much that we cannot have our own spirits under control, we better take the five-minute time out before we deal with this situation and pray to God to get our own spirits under control. Because to deal with a child 
They feel it. Frustration and anger coming out of us. It's, it's going to be damaging. And that's true even with young people. And it can be a breach in a relationship. They're not going to keep coming to us if we overreact with what they tell us or what they ask of us. They'll find their information. They'll find things somewhere else. It won't be with us. We have to control our spirits. Watch also with children. Watch for self-degrading thoughts and, and symptoms of a victim mentality. That's a very important one again. Because a child that learns to think from a victim mentality, you know, things are against me, he's always treating me bad, you know, and they always pick on me, and, you know, and on and on it can go. What, that, that's a thought pattern that we, we, not, we must get stopped and help them understand that that's not how it is. Yes, we get picked on and, you know, we get bullied or sometimes we may feel like and things like that. But, you know, that's life. We need to teach them how to handle that in a right way. There are going to be bumps and, and bruises in life and, you know, with our egos and all of that. But um, watch for the self-degrading thoughts, symptoms of a victim mentality. Don't intentionally shame your child in public as a means of control. Sometimes that can happen. We may be tempted to do that, you know, in front of their friends or something. You know, shame them a bit. It usually doesn't work well at all. It usually backfires on the parent. And you really, a parent, you will sacrifice a lot of respect right on the spot when, when we, we stoop to that. Um, we need to challenge them to do their best without always criticizing their efforts. You know, they may have to try five times to get it right, but we can help them get it right. But not just criticize their efforts because, after all, they won't want to help. You know, Dad is always so critical the way I do everything, and I can't, we can't work together, and I'm not allowed to make any mistakes. Guess what? He doesn't want to work with Dad. He'll go somewhere else, you know, and rather do something else. And we, we breach a relationship that should be there. We also need to be careful not to try for an artificial closeness with a child by making them our eyes and ears. Sometimes that happens. I've seen it happen where a child has sort of made the eyes and ears of the parents. And the parent, the child knows that mom or dad, you know, they love to hear all these little tidbits about this person, that person, and everything. And as parents, we need to be really careful with that because um, you can really ruin a, a child's relationship to their peers. And we call it, of course, a tattletale, but I mean, but also, you know, if they know that, you know, that we enjoy every little tidbit of information that they, they come up with, uh, we're opening a fountain there that's, gonna, that's going to really backfire on us at some point. Well, I would just say in closing, it's, it's a large responsibility it can sound very complicated when we talk about all these details. But I want to say this morning again, though, it's not impossible to be a good parent. Not a, I'm not talking about perfection again. But when we are sincere and humble ourselves before God as a mother and a father in the home, God will bless us and God can work in spite of our 
weaknesses at times and our failures. But it doesn't let us off the hook. And we still have that responsibility. We still need to be there for them and help them understand how to think, how to analyze, how to understand life. In closing, I would just say this. Let's not assume that one day they will wake up in the adult world and know how to think right. Let's never assume that one day they will suddenly grow up and be in the adult world and know how to think right. We have that responsibility. Let's be that example to them, teach them right and wrong, teach them accountability, honesty, all those things. And in doing that, we teach them the fear of God. And then they can go forth in life and make decisions. I thought of Joseph there in Egypt with Potiphar's wife. How did Joseph come to that conclusion as a young man and say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He was taught the fear of God. He says, I can't do this. I cannot do this because I fear God. That's what we want. That's the mentality. That's the way of thinking. That the choices of life are made on that basis. May God help us. May God bless each of us in this tremendous work. It's a full-time job. Let's keep our shoulder to the wheel. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are a heavenly Father to us. We thank you that we can be your children. And we have many examples, Father, of how you, you do relate to your children in love, in mercy, in forgiveness, and also in chastisement and discipline. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to tell us when we're wrong. You love us enough to, at times, bring things into our life that chastises us and wakes us up to the needs of our heart. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, his ministry on earth, all that he teaches us about your character and your love and your interest in mankind. We pray, Father, that you would bless us as parents and our responsibilities, young and old, whatever our life situation is, that you would bless us with wisdom and understanding. Father, we know that we make many mistakes at times. We humbly ask you to forgive us and to work in spite of us and for your glory and for the good of the children. And Father, may we encourage each other as parents and in the battles of life and the heat of the day, struggles that come to us that we might be of support and bless us as a congregation we would be there for each other, help each other, and support each other. We pray for those who are not able to be here with us today in their travels, whatever they are, in their life, be with them and suit a blessing to their needs. May we each continue faithful. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.